So today we are on the 11th lesson of our summer quarter. The title of the lesson is Daniel's Background. We are starting the book of Daniel today, and we will be covering Daniel chapter 1. Um, we're only given three weeks to get through the book of Daniel, which is not enough, but we'll do our best. So Lord, we thank you for this book of Daniel. Daniel spent his whole life in enemy territory, and uh, we do too. We spend our life in the devil's world. And when we believe in you, that puts us in enemy territory. So Daniel is very, uh, a very good example to us. And we pray that we might learn from him in this book as to how to live in, hostile, in a hostile environment. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a few things about the book itself. The author is Daniel, of course, in, you know, in the late 18th century that was challenged by the German, you know, higher critics. Of course, they challenged everything, and they're all wrong <laughs> in every sense of the word. So Daniel is the author. The date was the 6th century B.C. That has been disputed as well. And the reason that has been disputed is Daniel is full of prophecy. And especially chapter 11 of Daniel is full of very detailed, very specific prophecy which came to pass exactly literally. And people don't believe that can happen. And so they tried to date it after those things happened, you know, because they don't believe that the Bible is predictive of the future. So that's their problem. But the the book was written in the 6th century B.C., it, the events it covered, again, this is history, you know. Daniel is full of stories for children that we teach to children. The, the men in the fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den, the handwriting on the wall, Nebuchadnezzar going crazy for seven years and eating grass, you know, all these things. Um, but it is not a fantasy story for children. It is historical fact. Yeah, and so... Uh, their supernatural activity was very prevalent in Babylon during the time of Daniel. And the time covered, Daniel was deported from Jerusalem to Babylon in 605 B.C. So that was the first wave of deportation. And he was there at least until 536 B.C., which was the first year of King Cyrus of Persia. He was um, taken to Babylon when he was around 15 years old. 15 years old. And that is the, this time in Daniel 1 when he did these things. He was very well grounded in the Lord. He had, godly, had to have had godly parents at 15 years old because he was there alone away from his parents. And he was being brainwashed by the Babylonians and he clung to the Lord and his ways. So Daniel is also unique in that it is written in two languages. Verses, chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 4, the first half of that verse, are written in Hebrew. Then from chapter 2, verse 4, to chapter 7, verse 28, 
which describes the times of the Gentiles. That is written in Aramaic, which was the language of the world at that time. And then chapters 8 through 12 are again switches to Hebrew, because that is directed to the Jews. So that's interesting. Yeah, and then Daniel chapter 11, 5 through 35, those prophecies of very specific details were fulfilled in the intertestamental period between, uh, most of it, between the two testaments and uh, like in the 4th to the 2nd century B.C. And that's why, you know, liberal theologians try to date it after that because they say nobody could predict this like this. Um, but God can, and he did through Daniel. So section A is the deportation to Babylon. That's verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1. Can I get somebody to read that one? 1 through 7. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, so... um. Chapter 1, verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So this is history, which we mentioned before, and it gives you some dating here. The third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, 605 B.C. Remember, uh, Josiah died, the good king. Josiah, he did something weird. He was only 39, and he went and attacked Pharaoh Necho, who had nothing to do with him. Pharaoh Necho was going up to fight Nebuchadnezzar. And Josiah attacked him, and he was killed. And that has never made sense to me, because he was good king. So anyway, I don't know what that was all about. But then Josiah's oldest son, Jehoahaz, became king. He was appointed king by Pharaoh Necho, who had conquered Josiah. And then he was there for a very short time and then was deported to Egypt, Jehoahaz. So Pharaoh Necho then appointed Jehoiakim as his vassal. So Judah was a vassal of Egypt for a while, and uh, Pharaoh Necho had appointed Jehoiakim as king there. And then Nebuchadnezzar came and attacked in 605, and there was the first wave of uh, deportees to Babylon. Jehoiakim was involved in that. Now, he was sent back to Jerusalem as vassal king to Babylon uh, for a while because he reigned a little over a decade. But this is when Daniel was taken in the first wave. Remember Ezekiel, which we last covered, he was taken in the second wave, along with Jehoiachin, who is Jehoiakim's son. So Jehoiachin was taken in the second wave, which was 597 B.C., along with Ezekiel. And then Jer Jerusalem was besieged uh, later, and in 586 B.C., Jerusalem was totally destroyed and the temple torn down. And this was all prophetic fulfillment. 
And the prophecy that was fulfilled was from Deuteronomy 28. Remember, Deuteronomy was given by Moses to the second generation of the Israelites out of Egypt just before they went into the land. They were given the Mosaic Law, and in the Mosaic Law were blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. The curses were written right into the Mosaic Covenant. And this is one of the curses. Deuteronomy 28, starting with verse 47, says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in the lack of all things, and he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance who will have no respect for the old, nor show favor to the young. That was fulfilled by Babylon. So they came, conquered them, and took them in captivity. And that was all spelled out just before they entered the land, which was, I don't know, around 1400 B.C. So this is now 500 B.C., about 900 years earlier, this prophecy was spoken. So verse 2, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, so some of the utensils of the temple. He brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. So he, you know, that was part of his spoil, was the um, utensils of the temple. And in chapter 5, his grandson, Belshazzar, had a big party, and they used these uh, utensils of the temple, and they honored pagan gods. And that's when the handwriting on the wall came. And that very night, that king died because they were desecrating the Lord's utensils. So then, verse 3, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. Here we learn something about Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they were nobility. They may have been royalty. Doesn't We're, we're not told for sure which they are. They, I mean, maybe Daniel was in the line of David. But they're at least nobility. So they were the cream of the crop from Judah. And they were brought in and they were brainwashed. They were brainwashed. Does brainwashing take place today? Brainwashing takes place every day in our public schools. That is brainwashing. That is teaching the religion of secular humanism in our public schools, brainwashing. This is from the quarterly. It says, Often deportees from the upper classes were incorporated into the population of the ruling empire. This was done for a variety of reasons. First, it nourished the loyalty of subject peoples as they were gradually absorbed into the new culture. 
Second, it improved the conquering nation's pool of upper-class workers. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, it denied the lower-class citizens left behind in conquered countries the leadership of those most likely to plot rebellion. So they took their leaders and brought them in and made them part of the administration of the conquering nation. So verse 4 says, Youths in whom was no defect, who are good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom. These are smart kids. Endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. That's the brainwashing right there. The Chaldeans or the Babylonians had a different worldview than the Jews. They were not monotheistic. They did not know the true God. They had many gods, and they worshipped these gods. And behind false gods are demons. And that's always been true. And so they were worshipping demons. They didn't know that, you know. People who worship idols and things think they're worshiping true gods. They are fooled. They're worshiping demons. So that's what was going on there. So then these, these uh, kids, you know, these teenagers were not abused other than the brainwashing, you know. And that was very nice, I'm sure. They're, you know, they were seduced is what it was. But verse 5, the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. So they ate well and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. So they were going to have a, a good job in Babylon. And verse 6, now among them... From the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So these names, uh, all of them honored the true God. The name Daniel means God is judge. It says, uh, then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar. Let's see, Belteshazzar means may Bel protect his life. Bel is one of the Babylonian gods. The name Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. His name was changed to Shadrach, which is command of Aku. Aku, command of Aku. Aku is the moon god. Mishael means who is what God is. His name was changed to Meshach, who is what Aku is. <laughs> so they're, they're making parallels, you know. And then Azariah means whom Yahweh helps. And his name was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo. And Nebo is a god of, I can't remember what, something silly. And so, you know, in the Bible, when you name something, that means you have ownership over it. When you name something, that, you know, when the Lord told 
Adam to name the animals. And he did. And he, he was to be the ruler of creation. He was to be the ruler of the animal kingdom. And so he named the animals. And when people would be conquered, many times they would be renamed. And, you know, God renames people too. He renamed Abram to Abraham. And so the, the name change is to designate what that person will be. You know, Simon, his name was changed to Peter, which means a rock. Um, you know, things like what he will be. You know, Peter was very unstable as a disciple. But when he became an apostle, and he was forgiven by the Lord for his, um, for his unloyalty, he became a rock of the church. And uh, so th when the Lord changes your name, he changes it to what you will be. But Nebuchadnezzar was changing them, changing their names to erase the name, to erase the true God and to put them under the false gods of the Babylonians. So then this is just statements from the quarterly, which I thought were very good. And uh, because Daniel, all his life, even when he was 15 years old, he was a good example for us, even when he was 15 years old. So the, from the quarterly, Daniel's ministry at the highest levels of government was characterized by humility and a complete lack of interest in personal power or prestige. So he didn't care about titles or power. He didn't care about it, you know, and he was offered it often, you know, I mean, well, through his life. I mean, he was there, it's recorded from the age of 15 to about the age of 85 or 86, Daniel, his whole life there. And then Daniel's life is a model of what persistent prayer and unwavering faith can accomplish. We want to be like Daniel. Okay, so that is... Uh, it for that first section. That must have been scary. As a 15-year-old, being hauled off with these scary-looking warriors, you know, that had just torn up things. So, but anyway, so the next section is devotion to God, and that's verses 8 through 14. I'll read that. So remember in verse 5, it said that the king told them what they could eat. It would be his food from the king's table, choice food, and wine. So it was good stuff. But Daniel has different ideas, right? What does the Mosaic law say about food? Does the Mosaic law have any instructions about food, what you're to eat? It has a lot of instructions about food, yeah. All of Leviticus chapter 11 is about what meats you can eat and what you cannot eat. So, and Daniel knew this because he was clearly raised by godly parents. So, anyway, I'll, I'll read this section and then we'll talk about it. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. 
And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than these who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. Okay, so verse 8, Daniel made up his mind. He would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So at the age of 15, Daniel was not only a believer, but a committed disciple under the Mosaic law. You know, the under the Mosaic law, people were saved eternally in the same way we are saved, by belief alone in the Lord's promise, and the Lord's promise based on the coming Messiah, which they had learned about, gradually learned more and more about, over time, you know, the first mention of the Messiah was Genesis 3.15. But they're, you know, saved the same way. But just like we are, to grow in your faith, you submit to what the Lord wants you to do. And that was the Mosaic law for them. For us, it is the law of Christ. We submit what the Lord wants us to do in the epistles. But they did not have the epistles then. They had the Mosaic law which included Leviticus 11, and this is just from uh, verses 3 and 4 of Leviticus 11. So, whatever divides a hoof, thus making split hoofs, and choose the cud among the animals that you may eat. Nevertheless, you are not to eat of these, among those which chew the cud, or among those which divide the hoof. The camel, for though it chews the cut, it does not divide the hoof, it is unclean to you. Likewise the chafin, for though it chews the cut, it does not divide the hoof, it is unclean to you. The rabbit also, for though it chews the cut, it does not divide the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the pig, for though it divides the hoof, thus making a split hoof, it does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. So pork is off limits, rabbit is off limits, and other things, that camel is off limits, that's not very tasty sounding to me. You don't have any desire for that. Yeah, but shellfish was off limits for uh, the uh, nation of Israel. So that was one. There were no vegetables, including grains, that were off limits. So bread was not off limits, um, you know, grains. And uh, it was just meat, certain meats were off, limit, off limits and, so, and shellfish. And then also, you know, they were in a pagan country, and very often pagans would sacrifice something and offer it to their gods and then eat the meat left over. So this is from Exodus thirty-four fifteen. It says, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice. 
So meat that is offered in sacrifice to foreign gods, they were not to eat, even if it was okay otherwise, you know, if it was a beef or, or lamb or something. If it was offered to a foreign god, it was off limits to the Jews. And so Daniel couldn't know if the meat was offered to idols or the wine was offered to idols. And so he made up his mind. So before anything started, he decided that's the way to do it. You don't want to do it at the time because that you're weakened <laughs> at that time. You want to you want to decide what you're going to do before it comes. So this, let's see, there's something in the quarterly about this. When Daniel took his stand, it was simply the natural result of a lifelong determination to be obedient to God's will in every situation. Remember, he's 15 years old, so his life is not very long yet that he's been doing this. But he had strength of character at, at, uh, as a teenager. And so, Daniel is also a good example of how to perform civil disobedience. Okay, because that is what he's doing here. The king has told him, this is what you're going to eat. So he says, no, I'm not going to do that. That is civil disobedience. But look how he does it. He sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. You know, Daniel was not in a democracy. He was in an absolute monarchy, which means that the king had the power of life and death over the subjects. So the king could just order you killed. And that is, it's in the, that environment that he's doing this. Okay, so he's asking permission to do this. So verse 9, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. So God got involved here. God got involved. God can change people's attitudes. He made conditions favorable. He makes conditions favorable for those committed to obedience to him. If you want to be obedient to the Lord, he will make conditions favorable for you to do that. Which is interesting, isn't it? That's supernatural. That's a supernatural thing. So this is going back to Eli. Remember Eli, who had the prophecy against him? The prophet that was sent to Eli with this bad prophecy said something which goes along with this. This is First Samuel 2, verse 30. Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. So if Daniel is seeking to honor the Lord by obeying the Mosaic law, and the Lord will honor that. He will honor you. Does anybody, anybody see the movie Chariots of Fire? It's an old movie now. A long time ago. But there was, a, there was a time where the Eric Little, the protagonist of that movie, refused to run in a race on Sunday 
because he mistakenly thought that he was under the Mosaic Law, and so he couldn't run on Sunday, which is not the Sabbath at all. But he thought it was, because, you know, the Lord doesn't have a special day for us to meet. So, But he refused to run in the Olympics, in the finals, on Sunday. And, and they postponed it for him so he could run in the race. And that just goes along. The, even when you don't understand totally, but you seek to honor the Lord, the Lord will help you <laughs> to, uh, to do it. And somebody quoted to him this, this verse from 1 Samuel, those who honor me, I will honor. So I remember that from that movie. So, yeah, you know, um, I remember when we were moving back from El Paso here, we had a big dog, a big German shepherd, a white German shepherd. He, he would kill you. You know, he was a big, menacing dog. And we stopped at a hotel, and the temptation was to sneak him into the motel to stay. And we thought, no, we will tell them we have this huge dog and ask permission. And he and they gave us favor. And we got to bring our big, huge dog into our motel room without deception. Without deception. Yeah, see, that's honoring God. And he made the conditions favorable. So if you want to honor God, he'll make conditions favorable for you. So anyway, then verse 10, and the, but the, the official was a little nervous. He says, now, the commander of the official said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head. To the king, so he was afraid of get, being executed if he didn't follow the king's command to give them this food. So he said, "Why should he see your faces looking haggard?" So he didn't. He was in charge of these boys, and he wanted them to look good for the king, and he didn't want them to look abused, and so he was afraid. So well, look what Daniel does. Daniel Daniel doesn't speak back to this guy, Ashpenaz, but he talked to someone else. Verse 11, But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So he asked the big boss, Ashpenaz. The big boss was afraid, and so he turned him down. So he asked the guy under him again, and this time he comes up with a test. Because Ashpenaz was worried about them looking bad. So Daniel was not belligerent. He did not stage a protest. He did not have a sit-in like the college students like to do in the president's office. But he did persist. And he went to another official and asked for him to perform a test. So verse 12 Please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence, and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. 
So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. Now just think about that. Do you think that you would see any difference at all in someone? I mean, what do you think? So somebody's going on a vegetarian diet for ten days. The other ones are eating meat. Is there going to be a difference in ten days? They did here, but I, I think, okay, that's a test, all right. I don't know, even if they were getting malnourished, would it show up in 10 days? So this is another supernatural thing that happens here. Because this, God made it very clear that his way of eating is better than the king's. He made that clear to these pagans. See, these, these kids were incredible witnesses in Babylon because they, uh, they stuck to what the Lord said to do, even in a hostile environment. They didn't give in, but they were respectful of the others, of the, of the people who were in charge over them. They were respectful. So the test was agreed to. Okay, anything else about that? I mean, this is a very good encouragement to us. We need to stand firm in what the Lord tells us to do. And because supernatural things happen <laughs> when you do that, you know, because the Lord is behind you. Okay. Section C, appointment to royal service. Somebody want to read that, 15 through the end of the chapter? Okay, thank you. Yeah, so verse 15, at the end of this test, this 10-day test, end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Now, normally, you know, in our culture, we don't like being fatter. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> But they were not haggard. They did not look malnourished. They did not look abused in any way. They appeared better than the others. And that was a supernatural thing. Um, just to make a difference in 10 days, I think. It was a supernatural thing. Because, you know, it seems to me like naturally you wouldn't be able to tell anything. So verse 16, so the overseer, this was not Ashpenaz. This is the one under him continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. So, and this was in accordance with the Mosaic dietary laws. So they continued to follow the dietary laws. They just didn't have any meat. You know, the dietary laws gave you meat, certain types of meat, but they wanted to make it easy for the Babylonians not to mess it up. So they didn't give them any meat at all. They just gave them bread and vegetables. So then, as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel, specifically, even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. So, what does Proverbs 1 7 say? Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord makes you smart. Okay? 
In the United States in 1962, Bible reading was removed from the public schools. In 1963, prayer was removed from the public schools. If you see a chart of the SAT scores through that time, it will show a precipitous drop in SAT scores after that. Why? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord makes you smarter. It makes your mind work the way it was designed to work. And these young men feared the Lord, and so they were very good at learning. So Proverbs 9, and I don't remember the exact verse, but Proverbs 9 goes on to say, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So both knowledge and wisdom, and what it, knowledge is, are factual matters. Knowledge is the learning of facts, the learning of theories, the learning of things like that. Wisdom is learning to apply those things in life. When you learn to apply those things in life, that is wisdom. So both knowledge and wisdom come from the fear of the Lord. And these young guys had that in spades. And then Daniel was given a special gift in that he understood visions and dreams. And he, you know, that is used a couple of times in the book of Daniel um, in relation to the kings of Babylon. So that they can understand, so that we also can understand, we're going to learn one of those dreams next week, which detailed the times of the Gentiles, which we are still in now. So back to... Uh, verse 16, I just wanted to say something about this. They continued in obedience to Jewic or Mosaic dietary laws. And, uh, you know, we are instructed to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. What would you say is God's love language? You heard of those love languages, huh? Prayer? Okay. The Lord does hear prayer. Yes, the Lord does hear prayer. Is that is prayer how you demonstrate your love for God? It's one way. What's another way? Something these kids did. His love language is obedience to him. Yeah, Jesus said, You call me Lord, Lord. Why don't you do what I say? You know, if you think about it, God's word, his commands are perfect. You can't do better than that. So um, they were demonstrating love for God in that they were willing to obey the dietary laws which applied to them. They did not apply to the Babylonians. Mosaic law was not given to the Babylonians. It was given to them. Uh, even in a, in a place where it's hard to do it. So that was a demonstration of love for God. You know, coming to church is showing God that you love him because he tells us to do it. He tells us to do it, and so when you do it, that's demonstration of love for him. You know, when you refuse to lie, when lying might get you ahead, 
or you think it might keep you out of trouble, you're showing love to God. When you're faithful to your spouse, that is showing love to God, you know. So Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was preparing them for service to him, but actually God was preparing them for service to him. (laughs) And uh, God did the same thing with Moses. Moses, remember, was raised by pagans. He was was adopted by uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and he was raised in Pharaoh's palace, And uh, Acts 7, verse 20 says of Moses, It was at this time that Moses was born, and he was lovely in the sight of God, and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. Moses got the best education available in the world at that time. And he was the one God used to write the uh, Pentateuch. Because he was learned. He was knowledgeable. And God was preparing him to be the lawgiver to Israel. So, um, and, you know, that's what the Lord is doing with Daniel and these three boys. So Daniel understood visions without occultism. Babylon was full of the occult. There was a lot of divination, you know, people trying to contact the dead, stuff like that, which leads you into the into contact with demons. Uh, Daniel was able to interpret dreams and things without any of that. He went to the Lord, and the Lord told him. So verses 18 and 19, then at the end of the days, the three years which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better and all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus, the king. So when he was a very old man. So the king gave them an oral exam. Has anybody had an oral exam? I've had two oral exams. They are very intimidating. You know, when I finished general surgery, to get your general surgery boards, you have to take an oral, oral exam. When I did cardiac surgery, I had to do it again. And uh, cardiac was easy compared to general surgery. But it's very intimidating. They have these nationally famous professors, and they're grilling you. They give you cases and say, okay, what are you going to do? And they give you these problems, difficult problems. And uh, so that's what happened with uh, these guys and the king. He came in, he grilled them orally. Um, I'd rather take, much rather take a written test than a roll test when you're in there and you're sweating. (laughs) So he gave them an oral exam and he found them 10 times better than all the other prospects and they entered the king's personal service. So how about us? These three were prepared 
You know, they were prepared by God, they were prepared by the king, and then they entered into service. How about us? Are we to enter into service? Yeah. Exactly. We are in we are to enter into service. When we are saved, we are to enter into service and we learn how to do that all our lives. So this is uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. So we're saved for free, paid for by Jesus. Not as a result of work, so that no one may boast, for we, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So we are saved for service. We are saved to influence others, to tell others about Jesus, and to serve them. That's what we are saved for. Otherwise, we would just go to heaven. You know, if you're saved, you go to heaven. But no, we're saved for service. We're going to use that life which God has given us for service to him. And that yields us eternal rewards. That was a good chapter, wasn't it? I, I thought it was good. Great example. So, Lord, we thank you for the example of Daniel. Uh, we thank you that you have uh, created us in Christ Jesus. The, the Bible says we are new creations when we trust in the Lord Jesus. And you have uh, created us for service to others. So we pray that you would help us to walk in that service and serve you as you, as you guide us. Help us to serve others. In Jesus' name, amen.